If we had to describe or use one word, I rather I should say, to describe the future right now, it would probably be the word uncertain. Because our future looks like it is anything but certain, both as individuals, as a nation, and as a world. When we think of certainty in life, there's usually two ideas that come to mind. First is the routine, the daily routine we have. What time we get up, the various appointments, jobs we go to, school, whatever, and then coming home and just the whole routine of what we go through every day. Well, that routine has been turned upside down in recent weeks. And it doesn't show like it's going to come anytime soon where that old routine we return to. Second, the idea of certainty is that when we look at the future, there are certain predictable outcomes that we anticipate of what's going to happen five months from now and six months from now, etc. We drew up a church calendar this year through August with all these dates and activities on it, and we've pretty much had to lay that calendar aside. No doubt you've had certain plans which you thought were going to happen this year and planned it and now you're having to look at all of that and say, I don't know if any of that's going to happen. And so everything seems so uncertain. So how do we have a certain future in the midst of so much uncertainty? But the message of the 27th Psalm is that we do have a certain future. The key to that future is that the Lord promises that He will dominate that future as a sun that comes and explodes onto the horizon that His deliverance will be part of that future, and that He will surround us in that future, that the closest reality to our lives is not a pandemic, it is not fear, it is not panic, that the closest reality to our lives is the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, because of Him, because of His promises, we have a certain future. We don't have to live in uncertainty. Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 27. This psalm is part of the first 41 psalms of the book of Psalms, which are called the Psalms of Deliverance. In one way or another, each of these psalms addresses the issue of God's delivering power. We saw last week in verse 4 that David the writer of this psalm, says that he has one desire from God, and that desire is simply to know the Lord in a deeper, richer way than he knows Him right now. It's a fascinating request that David has because it was prayed during a very difficult situation in David's life. We believe that when David wrote the 27th psalm, he had been deposed from the kingship of Israel, that he was in hiding. David's future was extremely uncertain. His life was uncertain. He didn't know what was coming next. He didn't even know if the next day was going to be guaranteed or not. And it's interesting that in the midst of that, instead of David saying, Lord, my prayer is that for you will return me to the kingship of Israel, his prayer was, Lord, what I want most is to know you. And that takes us to the end of this psalm, verses 13 
and 14. Because David had prayed and said, God, I want to know you. And I want to experience you in the fullness of who you are. And I want to be satisfied with who you are. In the 13th and 14th verses, he is able to say this. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I believe that I shall look upon the Lord, the goodness of the Lord, in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. There are three concepts for the future in these two verses that will enable us in the midst of so much uncertainty to be certain, to have a certain God-given future. Let's look at those three concepts. The first concept in verse 13, the goodness of the Lord. David says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord. He, on the flowing over from what he said in the first part of this psalm, says, I believe I've come to the place after having desired the Lord and experiencing the Lord. I've come to believe. And the idea of the Hebrew word there means to be certain, to be firm. David is saying, I believe I'm going to look upon the goodness of the Lord because I am trusting in the solid, the rock-solid character of God and His covenant promises to me. Now he says, I believe that I shall look upon what? The goodness of the Lord. What is the goodness of the Lord? That's the second concept here. What's the goodness of the Lord? Of the Lord. Well, first of all, let me say that the, God is His own standard of goodness. God does not try to adhere Himself or measure up to a standard of goodness. He is His own standard of goodness. And the reason to understand that and why that is so important is simply this. If we don't believe God is good... And as the old saying goes, God is good, He's good all the time. If I don't believe God is good and that He's good all the time, then I'm not going to trust God. The degree to which I believe God is good is the degree to which I'm going to trust the Lord. So if God is good, what does it mean for Him to be good? If I have my own standard of goodness and God is not conforming to that standard, then I'm not going to believe that God is good. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, when we have the occasion of the first sin committed by human beings, that original sin, they basically sinned because they didn't believe God was good. They tried to apply to God their own standard of what it meant to be good. And you see, when we, when we take up our own standard, this is the game that we tend to play with God. God, you better do this. You better do it on this timetable. You better answer these prayers in this way. God, this happened in my life, and this happened in my life, and this happened in my life, and in my opinion, those things were not good, so I don't know that I trust you. I don't know that I believe in you. How many of us at times have said to God, Lord, if, if you answer this particular prayer, I will serve you. 
and, and I will worship you, and I will give to you, and I'll tell other people about you. But God, if you don't come through, then God, I don't know whether I'm going to believe in you or not. I don't know if I'm going to trust in you or not. You see, what we're doing there is we're constructing our own definition of what it means for God to be good. And if God lives up to it, then God's good. If He answers prayers the way we want Him to on our schedule, then God's good and I can trust Him. But if God doesn't answer prayers on my schedule, then I don't know that God's good. If God doesn't do in my life what I want Him to, I don't know if God's good. If I look back over my life and I just see a whole lot of heartache, I don't know if I can trust God or not. That's me taking my standard of goodness and telling God He's got to live up to it. And if He doesn't, then I don't know if He's good or not. And as long as we play that game with God, sooner or later we're going to get angry with God and God's not going to live up to our standard. So what is the goodness of God that David says that he believes that he shall look upon? The goodness of God is understood and seen in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. The standard that God set of His goodness was higher than any standard we could ever have set for Him. It goes so far beyond when prayers are answered and how they're answered and when they are answered. What God did 2,000 years ago is He sent His only Son to this earth And he said, if you want to see my goodness on display, look at my son. If you want to understand what goodness is, listen to his words. Even more, watch his actions. Watch him heal sick bodies. Watch him raise the dead. Watch him cast demonic powers out of people and set them free. Watch and listen to him teach truth that will set you free. Watch his body language as he walks up to people who are broken and hurting and lonely. And he comes alongside their lives and he lays his hands upon them, not to hurt them, but to take divine power and put them back together. As he says to people, I will walk with you in life. As he walks to people and walks up to people that everybody else is ignoring and throwing under the bus and paying no attention to. And he says to them, you have got the attention of the Son of God. I think about that little lady, that little lady who walked into the temple that day. Jesus was sitting over on the side, and everybody was looking at the priest and looking at the rich people give, but Jesus set his eyes on that little lady And he watched her give that little penny that she had. And he says she's given more than anybody else because he looked past her offering and he looked into her heart and he saw the heart. And what Jesus was doing there is he was expressing his goodness and seeing the goodness in her. What does it mean for God to be good? It means Jesus. And the epicenter of his goodness is when he died on the cross when he was buried, and when he rose from the dead. If you and I want to see the goodness of the Lord, look at Jesus, gaze upon Jesus, linger in the presence of Jesus, study Jesus, follow him in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you will see the goodness of the Lord in the person 
and in the work and in the ministry and the love and the compassion, in the mercy, in the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, where do we see the goodness of the Lord? Notice what he says, you will see the goodness of the Lord where? In the land of the living. What is this land of the living that he's talking about here? Well, first of all, the land of the living is the place of freedom. Jesus came to liberate folks who were enslaved. Jesus walked up to people all the time who were enslaved in all kinds of different ways, in bondage in all kinds of different ways, and Jesus worked overtime to set people free. His life, His ministry is all about deliverance. Deliverance from what's enslaving us and deliverance to Him. So that land of the living is the place of freedom. And it is the place of being delivered. Remember when He was on the cross? He was delivering from the cross. One of the thieves looked over at Him and said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looked at him and said, Today you're going to be with me in paradise. He was delivering him from the fear of the cross. He was delivering him from the fear of the uncertainty of eternity. He was delivering him from wondering if God loved him and had time for a thief that was dying. And Jesus said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. I'm going to deliver you from a cross and I'm going to deliver you to paradise. Anytime you get around Jesus, there's going to be deliverance. Where is the land of the living? The land of the living is not some theoretical, esoteric idea. The land of the living, where we see and we experience the goodness of the Lord, the land of the living is anywhere that Jesus is. The land of the living, where we see the goodness of the Lord, is anywhere that Jesus is. Think with me through some scripture. Those three Hebrew boys that I talked about earlier, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were thrown into a burning, fiery furnace for their faithfulness to God. And King Nebuchadnezzar came up and he looked into that furnace at those three guys and he was expecting to see them literally be nothing but ash cremated right there in that furnace. And he looked in there and he saw those guys smiling and walking around in the furnace. And then he said, I thought I threw three guys in there, and there's a fourth guy in there, and the fourth guy looks like the Son of God. Jesus took a burning, fiery furnace, and He turned it into the land of the living just because He was in the burning, fiery furnace. Go with me to the New Testament. You remember that night that the disciples were out on the Sea of Galilee, minding their own business, and the wind began to pick up. And then the wind picked up some more. And then the lightning started. And the thunder began to roll and the rain began to pour down. And the wind really began to pick up. And they began to really get excited. The ship began to rock back and forth in the waves. They didn't know if they were going to make it or not. They were in the midst of a major thunderstorm out there on that lake. Water's coming into the ship, both through the waves and the rain. And then they looked out through the storm. And as the lightning would illuminate the waves and the rain, 
they saw a figure coming to them. And at first they thought it was a ghost. And then they recognized it was Jesus. And Jesus said, peace, be still. And the place of fear became the place of peace. Because Jesus transformed that stormy place into the land of the living. Follow me as we go into a small town called the town of Nain. And there's a funeral procession that's going through that town. And every funeral procession has its grief. But the grief of this funeral procession was particularly intense. There was a widow there. And her young son had died. Now if we're not careful when we hear the story, we think of the widow of Nain as some gray-haired lady burying her son. But back in those days, death came very early in life for many people. Doubtless this widow had been widowed very early in her life. It was probably no more than in her 30s. She had already buried a husband. And now she was burying her only son. And Jesus walked into the town of Nain that was the land of grief. He didn't walk by the funeral. He didn't walk around the funeral. He walked right into the middle of the service. And he walked up there to that lady, and he walked up there to that casket, and he looked at that boy, and he touched him, and the child came back to life. Jesus turned the town of Nain that day into the land of the living. Move with me to Good Friday. Jesus hangs on the cross, bleeding and dying. And it is the land of death. His death. Death of two thieves hanging next to Him. The death that came with all the sin of all of us being poured out upon Him. And He dies. And that hill outside Jerusalem was the land of the death. And it was hard to find the goodness of the Lord that day because the sin of man was on such display. But at dawn, three days later, a tomb that was the place of death, that held death, became the land of the living. In a garden tomb, known for being the place of a grave, has ever since then been known as the place not of a grave, but the place of a resurrection. And it has been known now for 2,000 years as the land of the living. 
Anywhere Jesus shows up is the land of the living. And someday when we get to heaven, we will walk into the eternal land of the living. Listen to the book of Job, chapter 19, beginning with verse 25. For I know, and this is Job after everything that he's going through, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Or in the Hebrew it could be translated, yet after my flesh I shall see God. Oh, do you see what he's saying there? Verse 27, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. Now I want to roll back to verse 25 and go through this again. I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last, when this earthly life is over, He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, and after my flesh, after this body is dead and gone, what's going to happen? I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. And then he says, my heart faints within me. Why is his heart fainting within him? Because he's so excited about it. I know that my Redeemer lives. Where Jesus is, is the land of the living. And when we get to heaven someday, it will be the land of the living. Three concepts. Here's the third. What do we got to do to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living? What do we got to do right now in the season that we are in to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living? Verse 14. He says, wait on the Lord. In fact, in this verse, twice he says, wait for the Lord. The verse begins with wait for the Lord. The verse ends with wait for the Lord. When God says something to us twice, He gives a command to us twice, that close together, it's His way of saying, mark it down and pay very close attention to it. Wait on the Lord. Don't wait on the government. Don't wait on a virus. Don't wait on things going to get better. Wait on the Lord. Now, many of us have got more waiting time right now than we've had in a long time. And waiting is a tough thing to do. And our culture has trained us for years to expect everything real quick. And we don't like to wait. So this idea of waiting on the Lord is sort of a new concept in terms of experiencing it. What does it mean to wait on the Lord? It means to endure patiently with a confident hope 
that God is going to act. When I was a boy, we used to look forward to having relatives come visit with us. Particularly my aunt and uncle from Danville. And I can remember my mother saying they're going to get here at a certain time. And we would get the house all ready. And we would wait with excitement. We did not wait for them to come with the hope that they might show up. We waited in confidence that they were going to show up. The idea here of waiting for the Lord is not that I'm hoping God's going to show up and do something. I sort of got my fingers crossed and it would be nice if God shows up. I've got confidence that God is going to show up. He's going to show up as my Redeemer and that He is going to act in deliverance. It is the idea of eager expectancy. Now, I want you to, I'm going to give you a new term here. Waiting for the Lord is what I call soul waiting. Soul waiting. And this is what I mean by soul waiting. I am waiting for God with everything that I've got and that I am. I am waiting for God from deep down on the inside of me. I am waiting with my mind and my thoughts. Waiting on God. Focused on the Lord. Expecting God to be at work. Looking and trying to discern what God is doing. Asking for the Holy Spirit to help me see what the Lord's doing. Interpret what the Lord's doing. Move with God in what He's doing. I am waiting with my emotions. Not driven all back and forth. Scared half to death. Angry, whatever. I'm waiting on the Lord with my emotions. I'm waiting on the Lord with my will. Who I choose to be. What I choose to do. I'm waiting on the Lord. I'm waiting on the Lord with my past. I'm not caught up grieving over my past, wrangling with my past. I'm using my past to wait for the Lord. I'm waiting for the Lord in the present. I'm using the time that's in my life right now to wait on Him. And I'm waiting for the Lord with my future. I'm waiting on the Lord from my gut. You see, if if I don't wait on the Lord with expectancy that God's going to be at work, and I'm not doing it from my soul, from that soul waiting from deep down. If I'm just doing surface waiting, God's got to show up, and God's got to work, God's got to do something right now, I'm not going to wait very long. But God's taking us through a time where we've got to learn to do soul waiting, waiting from deep down, waiting with all that we are. Now, why don't we like to wait? Because when we have to wait on God, it seems like nothing is happening. God's most at work often when He's most silent. Well, we don't like to wait because it seems like nothing's happening. Why don't we like to wait? Because somehow or another we think we can change the situation quickly or somebody else can change the situation quickly. Somebody ought to change the situation quickly. And so we don't like to wait because we think the situation ought to change quickly. We don't like to wait because our own immaturity demands that we not wait. Have you ever noticed how children don't like to wait? And what do they do? They throw tinter tantrums when they have to wait. And when we don't want to wait on God, we throw tinter tantrums on Him. Immaturity means we don't like to wait. And waiting finally requires faith and trust. But it's in the place of waiting that God empowers us. It's in the place of waiting 
that God forms His goodness in us. You see, when he talks about here, I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. One of the places that we start seeing the goodness of God as we wait on God is in us. He starts forming His goodness in us. And it begins to live through us. Folks, when we come out on the other side of this pandemic, we ought to come out better people than when we went in. We ought to come out more compassionate people than when we went in. We ought to come out more patient people than how we went in. We ought to come out more discerning people. And we ought to come out with character and integrity more so than when we went in. Listen to Psalm 25 and verse 21. Psalm 25 and verse 21. May integrity and uprightness Preserve me, for I wait on you. Do you see how the psalmist there makes the connection between integrity and uprightness preserving us? Because we have waited on the Lord. When you and I wait on God, it's not being some kind of spiritual couch potato that we just sit back. It means that I am engaging God. It means I am submitting to Him all that I am. And as I wait upon Him and submit my will to Him, my future to Him, my present to Him, my past to Him, as I am discerning His presence, as I am worshiping Him and lingering in His presence as I wait upon Him, what is He doing? He is shaping and growing and forming within me integrity. He is shaping and growing within us uprightness. In other words, His goodness that will preserve us and And this will enable us to experience the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I think God can take this pandemic. And if we will allow Him, and if we will wait upon Him in it, He will form a goodness in us. A character and an integrity within us that will open the doors for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit among us. I believe that one of the reasons so much in church today is devoid of the power of God is we have so compromised at times our integrity that we are living like the world around us, that we have the same morality of the world around us, that we are thinking so much like the world around us that at times it would be hard to convict us for being a Christian. Waiting on God produces character not like this world, but like Jesus. Waiting on God preserves us for Him to talk, to act, to think, to live like Jesus does. And when that happens, He is free to pour out His Holy Spirit in us and in His church. Verse 14. He says, let your heart take courage. In other words, the totality of who you are, let it take courage. The idea of courage there is to be solid. Let it take courage, be solid in what God is doing in your life. Because that integrity produces being firm and being solid for Him. David says, I believe that I have seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. The morning that Jesus was raised from the dead, 
Two women, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, got up in the darkness of the early morning hours. They took spices and went to the tomb for the purpose of anointing Jesus' body one last time. They got there, and to their shock and surprise, the stone had been rolled away. They stepped into the tomb, and there was a, a young man clothed in white, sitting on the right side of the tomb, an angel. The angel looked at them and told them that Jesus was not here anymore. He had risen from the dead. And then the angel said something very provocative. He said, go tell his disciples and Peter that he will meet them today in Galilee. Go tell his disciples and Peter. Make sure you get the message to Peter that he will meet them today in Galilee. Why did he single out Peter? This is my theory. That the angel who was sitting in the tomb was the same angel who rolled away the stone that morning. And as Jesus left the tomb, he looked at that angel and he said, I got a message that I want you to relay for me. When the women show up here, you tell them to tell my disciples that I'm headed to Galilee and make sure that Peter gets the message that I'm going to see him this afternoon. I'm going to be waiting for him this afternoon in Galilee. Why was it so important that Peter find out? Because Peter had denied Jesus. And when Peter denied Jesus, he went into the land of death. He couldn't see any goodness in himself after that denial. He couldn't see any goodness around him. And then Peter got all the words about the crucifixion. He got the picture of the whole bloody story. And Peter thought then, I have really entered the land of death. Jesus was getting the message to Peter that morning. Peter... Meet me in Galilee this afternoon in the land of the living. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to use you. And you're going to see the goodness of the Lord this afternoon in Galilee, which will become your land of the living. And Peter, I've got a certain future you. Folks, Jesus is waiting for us in the land of the living. We've just got to make a decision. I'm going to leave the place of doubt. I'm going to leave the place of discouragement. I'm going to leave the land of death. I'm going to leave the land of being away from Him. I'm going to leave the land of my sin. I'm going to leave all this junk, and I am going to go with Jesus. I'm going to rendezvous with Him where He is, I'm going to Jesus, I'm going to walk with Jesus, I'm going to focus on Jesus, I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord in His land, the land of the living. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, we ask that you would help us to see you and encounter you in the land that you've got for us, that place you've got for us, that wherever you are, Jesus, it is the land of the living. If you're listening to me today, wherever you may be, and you have never entered that land of the living with Jesus, you have never given your life to Him, you have never said to Jesus, forgive me of my sin and all the ways I've walked away from you, I want your life I want your joy. I want who you are and all that you are. Jesus, I want you. That I want to invite you to pray a simple prayer. Jesus, I want you. And so, Jesus, I give all that I am to all that you are. Forgive me, and thank you for taking me just the way I am. And thank you that you're going to make me into somebody new. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.